Okay, now that we're 15 entries into this exercise, I should probably address the big question. What is the best Mac ever? It's impossible to answer that question. You can't really answer it without adding some sort of qualifier. Is it the best one ever made up to now? The one that lasted the longest? The one you loved the most? There's a reason I've chosen to couch this entire series in the phrase most notable. It's because it's very hard to pick a best Mac that isn't one of the current generation, thanks to the relentless advance of technology. What would I rather do my work on today, a Mac from 2020 or one from 1990? Now, nostalgia is a heck of a drug, but I will take today's wireless networking, fast processors, massive storage, and so on every time. If you wanted to answer this impossible question, and I don't recommend that you try, you will need to figure out a way to compare different eras. The best Mac of all time would be the one that was the most impressive when compared to the other Macs of its era. This is, by the way, how sports experts compare players from different eras. Anyway, if you go down this perilous path that I just told you not to go down, you may very well end up deciding that the best Mac ever was released in 1989. And while it looked like every other unassuming compact Mac of the era, it was much more than that. It's 20 Macs for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. This is number six, the Macintosh SE30. Back in 2009, when I was the editor of Macworld, we put together a special issue for the Mac's 25th anniversary. A part of that package was a little sidebar about the best Macs ever made. We asked five people to tell us what they thought the answer was, and three of them gave us the same answer, the Mac SE30. The SE30 took the classic Mac shape introduced in 1984 and refined into the popular Mac SE of 1987, and plugged the powerful Motorola 68030 processor into it. This is the same processor that powered the top-of-the-line Mac 2X. And those three people who said the SE30 was the best Mac ever, they are the voices you'll hear on this episode. John Gruber, John Syracusa, and Adam C. Angst. You know, iPhones and iPads, everything we get still gets faster year after year. And they've, you know, that's just the nature of the industry. But at that time, getting faster generation to generation would have profound effects on just the experience. To me, the SE30 was this is what the original classic Mac was meant to be all along. And then they never topped it again. This is what a Mac was. The Mac had been defined up to that point by this classic Mac shape and monochrome monitor. So into this world, we had a succession of computers that essentially looked like the original Mac, but had better stuff on the inside. And then sort of the last gasp of the original Macintosh design was this beautiful computer called the Mac SE30. It took that original Mac design, the proper Mac design, the Mac, and put inside it guts that were just as good as the then-current top-of-the-line Mac 2 model that nobody could actually afford, the Mac 2X. It's as if you kept buying the same car, and when you first started buying them, they had 10 horsepower and they were fine, and the very last had 1,200 horsepower. That's what this computer was like. On the outside, it looked the same, but it was so much more powerful than the first one. Everything else about it was the same. Monochrome black and white screen. It had a floppy drive on the front. It's like, this is just like your original Mac 128. What's the difference? Like, oh, you have no idea. It is so much more powerful than that original Mac. 
it would blow you away. And part of the beauty of it was that it did look the same. So it was the thing that you were used to just made better than you can ever imagine it being. This was in an era when people were using Macs to do serious work, but all Macs were too slow. And so when you got this Mac, you're like, I'm going to do the same work that I was doing before, but oh my God, everything feels so much faster in, in a way that, that, you know, people don't experience that today because you buy a new Mac today and it's like 10% faster for something. So much of computing for that whole era was that hardware just couldn't keep up with the interface ideas and everything was just a little slow, everything. And at the time, because everything was moving to color and bigger screens and, you know, a nine inch display at 72 pixels per inch is just not a lot of pixels and not a big canvas to work on. The SE30 was the one that got ahead of the interface because it was a nine inch black and white, not grayscale display with only 512 by 384 pixels with internal video power that was way, way more powerful than that display needed because it had the internal video capabilities to drive an external color display. And so everything in the interface was so snappy. It was like, finally, the Mac interface is completely instantaneous. And you'd use an SE30 and then go to any other Mac and it was painful. It was like, all of a sudden, it felt like you had chewing gum on your mouse or something. If you had an SE and then upgraded to an SE30 and ran PageMaker or something, you just throw that SE out the window. Like, I'm never touching that computer again, because if I have an actual job to do, this computer is so much faster. And again, you could get a big, giant Mac too, but they cost so much more money, and they were bigger, and you had to get a screen with it. And remember, this power just had to drive a monochrome display. So it, it laughed at redrawing that screen. How many pixels do I have to draw? And they're all monochrome? Pff, I'll be done instantly. Everything about it was fast and snappy and wonderful and powerful. It was a whole other class. This was just saying, like, if you're still down here with me, with the nine-inch screen and the monochrome, and you just want the ultimate Mac, and when I say Mac, I mean Mac as in the original iconic Mac, this is it. This was the pinnacle. So this SE30 was just the most brilliant little computer in terms of performance, and the 6830 processor was just so much faster than the 68000. Such a powerhouse computer. People will talk about, oh, it had the EDB little screen. Yes, it did, but you could put a video card in it too. So I had two monitors in 1990 on my Mac, one of which was color, which was a big deal at that time. At the time when the SE30 reigned, even though there were color capabilities in the Mac 2 line, the software just wasn't there for it. And if you really needed to do something that had to be in color, sure. But so much else of what you did on the Mac was still best or as good in black and white as it was in color. And I, I learned the hard way. When I went to college in 1991, there were three options. It was the Classic, Mac Classic, the Mac LC, and the SE30 were the three options for freshmen in 1991 at Drexel University. And I picked the LC because I wanted color. I knew the Mac a little, but I was still coming from an Apple II background. And I just thought, well, color is better. And it's cheaper. It was an easier sell for my parents. And I regretted it. I regretted it terribly because then once I really completely soaked myself in the Mac and learned everything about it, I realized I'd made a terrible decision. 
And because everything I liked about the LC was better on the SE30 except for the color, and the color didn't matter that much. And even the best games still, because there were so many black and white Macs in use, they all had black and white mode that was just as good. So I, I got this computer in, in 1989 when it was introduced through a series of machinations involving my family that I don't understand why they let me pull off, but they did. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Got it with an educational discount. So I used this computer from 1989 until 1997 or 8. How did I keep using a monochrome, black and white, 9-inch screened computer for that long? I put a 24-bit color card inside this computer and attached an external 15-inch color monitor. So I had a 640 by 480 screen that supported millions of colors just like the big boy Mac 2s did. And I also had a black and white monochrome screen and I could use both of them at once. That's how this computer lasted me 10 years. That's what this computer could do. Not only did it have 1,200 horsepower, but through the PDS slot, you could make it do amazing things. Before I bought this computer, I had dreams. I used to have dreams about computers all the time. I used to dream that I would get a Mac that looked like a Mac, but inside it would be a grayscale screen. But with this computer, I could almost fulfill that dream by installing a color card. It was amazing and beautiful. I must have used this computer for twice as long as I used my Mac Pro. Nope, it just seemed twice as long because the whole world was moving on and computers were getting faster and I was in college and I didn't have this thing connected to Ethernet. It was all like Apple Talk networks and my, you know, 9600 baud modem and all that other stuff. But the power of this computer and the color monitor made this thing viable for way longer than it had to be. It was just the most amazing 80s Mac ever. And then as the 90s grew, it held its credibility for a long time. And so it really was more of an investment, you know, four or $5,000 or whatever the heck it cost for a rigged out one in, you know, when it was new. You'd expect that to last for a long time, and it did. It was a totally credible computer that would last through the System 7 era for a while and serve you very well. I think we were using it until 2001. This machine just kept running. It ran and it ran and it ran. After we stopped using it as a, as a personal Mac, that's when I started running it as a server. I popped an Ethernet card in there. And suddenly it was on the network. So it was our first web server and our first FTP server. So that's partly why I say that it's my favorite Mac of all time is I believe that I got more years of serious use out of that computer than anyone subsequently. This also kind of marks the end of the era when every new Macintosh was better than all previous Macintoshes in all possible ways. Had better sound chip, it had a bigger, faster hard drive, had a bigger, faster floppy disk, right? Any part that could be improved was improved. Eventually, after this, they had to start diversifying the models. They're like, we can't do that all the time. We have to actually have some models that are intentionally less powerful for less money. But this was the end of that road. I need to mention that hard drive for a second. Unlike the original Compact Macs, the Mac SE and SE30 had room for an internal hard drive. Anyone who used a Mac in the early days will remember the endless swap of floppy disks that you were basically required to do in order to do anything. Having a hard drive not only gave you space, but it eliminated so much shuttling of floppy disks. You could buy a big external hard drive and set your Mac on top of it, and that's what you would do if you had a Mac Plus, let's say. But having that hard drive inside the computer was so much better. 
That's my favorite Mac ever. I still have my original IC30 upstairs. I think it looks great. I think it is the perfect embodiment of the Snow White design language. It's not as busy as the SE because it doesn't have even an option for the second floppy drive. So they could just do clean pinstripes on the top where the hard drive was and have the floppy drive below that. I love it. It was great. Okay, who am I to argue with John Syracuse? The SE and SE30 were both right in the sweet spot between the original Mac models and the faux retro styling of the Mac Classic line. The front of this computer is flat. The front of the Classic is rounded and friendly because it's a retro callback. Again, like car styling, where they make a a car that looks like uh, a famous car from several decades ago, but it's weird and curvier and more rounded. That's what the Classic was, but this was the real thing. So, what is the best Mac ever? I still don't have a good answer to give you, but one that I hear a lot is the first one you ever used, or alternately, the one that made you a Mac user. Now, the first Macs I ever really used were a bunch of Mac SEs at my college newspaper. That experience made me into a Mac user, so much so that before I went home for summer vacation, I dipped into my college savings, went down to the university bookstore, and used a sale and an educational discount to buy a Mac SE. I couldn't bear to go home for the summer without a Mac. We're never going to find the best Mac ever, but thanks to the love from Mr. Syracuse, Gruber, and Angst, as well as my general warm feelings toward the Mac SE, I'm willing to get behind the idea that the Mac SE 30 is easily one of the most notable Macs of all time. Max for 2020 was written by me, Jason Snell. My very enormous thanks to John Gruber, John Syracuse, and Adam C. Angst. Brian Hamilton provided post-production help. And I will be back in two weeks with number five.